Hey everyone, thanks for joining this episode of Pulling the Strings podcast, powered by Puppet. And I'm delighted to be your host. My name is Demetrius Malbro. I'm on the product marketing team here at Puppet. And I am really excited today to talk with Rob Nelson, Ben Ford, and Mike Smith. We have some horror stories for you today, and this is our Halloween edition, which will be DevOps Horror Stories. So sit back, relax, grab your cup of coffee or whatever type of drink you would like to uh, quench your thirst on this episode of Pulling the Strings. So first off, Rob, how are you today, sir? I am doing okay. Yourself? I am fantastic. If you don't mind, um, I, I think we, we had a short conversation about what you are going to share today. If you don't mind, go ahead and, and tee up your story, and hopefully everyone will be able to figure out exactly what happened. Sure. So my name's Rob, and I've been working in IT for 20 years. So if we go back way back to uh, 2001, I was working at a small government office doing some support for the county government itself. And we managed email and email was like brand new to most people. It was this, you know, awesome thing. It lets you communicate. You didn't have to send like inner office memos or track people down. It was hugely revolutionary at the time. We've all come to hate it. <laughs> yeah. But at the time, email was, was the thing. And of course, we were managing it. We'd been managing it for three or four years as a company. Other people had been managing it longer, but to users, people were still figuring out how to use it. And one of the biggest problems I think we still have is people just collect email. Mm. It just grows and grows and grows. And, you know, some people have like 5K email inboxes because they read it and they delete it. But most people have just gargantuan emails. But back in 2001, we had some pretty serious issues with that. Disk space was at a premium. And early, early email systems, you often had to run some sort of program that would like clean up the database. If you deleted an email that was shared with 20 people, it would stick around because they were trying to save space until 19 other people deleted it. And then when mm -hmm. they did, it would still be out there until you ran a program that would go and clean it up. So we would run that every, every so often. It would take all day and it would, you know, chop out 50 meg out of somebody's email inbox, which, you know, again, now seems like. 50 meg, who cares? But at the time we had, you know, one terabyte was not something that even existed. We had, you know, a couple gig of data uh, for some of the servers. So as time went on, we started hitting one of the file limits that I'm aware of, you know, people around at that time might be aware of, but- And what, what exactly was that? Was a two gig file size limit. Any single file could be no more than two gig. And the mailboxes for people were just a single file. You know, if you had 3,000 emails, it was still one file and your system had to find the right point in the file to, to find an individual email and display it in your client. So we found there were some issues because our program was older. The two gig file size limit on servers had actually been fixed. You could have larger than two gig file size limits, but it didn't mean all your programs could. Um, they had to be updated to know that. Some of them would just freak out when they found something that was two gig or larger. In this case, that was the situation. We ran the mailbox cleanup one time and it got to, I don't know, we had 500 users. It got to like the hundredth user. And that person had like a 2.1 gig mailbox. They had just gotten a bunch of stuff recently since the last time we ran it. 
and the system just deleted their inbox. Because it was over that size. Yep. It just freaked out and it deleted it. And then it went to the next user and deleted their inbox and the next user. And then it, and it just hit every other user. So five minutes later, we had like 100 people with email and 400 people that had no email ever. Oh, man. So you got to you gotta stop right there. And, and we, we need to put this into context. <laughs> so can, can you set the scene of, I guess, how did it go down? Like, did people start calling the help desk or? Yeah. So you would go into the back room and you would start up the email program and you'd come back hours later to check on it, right? So this was the case where you go in, you start it up, you go out, you're doing your work. You know, this was desktop support. So, you know, I'm yeah. like at somebody's desk and all of a sudden, like somebody's head pops up over cubicle. Hey, what happened to my email? I go, I don't know. What happened to it? You come over and you take a look and you're like, huh, you don't have any email. Well, that's weird. <laughs> yeah. And then all of a sudden somebody else does it. And then your boss shows up behind you. Hey, what's up? What do you mean? Well, we're getting a lot of complaints about people that yeah. don't have email. So, yeah, it was because the system was broken. There was like no, I mean, we didn't really have alerting like we do now, but they like the system didn't alert us. It just failed. Mm. So it didn't tell us that there was a problem. It didn't hang on that first person's. It just started deleting stuff immediately. And, and then, yeah. And then the fun thing was, you know, some people had like an email open on their system and that was fine until they like clicked on the next email. And then all of a sudden it went away because what was on the screen was fine. It, yeah. It cached it. And then they would like, minimize it and reopen it and all of a sudden it would go away or, or whatever. And then, yeah, we started getting serious calls. So we spent the next, I don't know, probably till like seven or eight that night restoring. Thankfully we had backups. We were a good shop. Ooh, we had backups. Okay. So we get this all restored. Now people have lost like emails from like 8 PM the night before to whatever time this happened. Right. And then the other fun part was if they had got new emails, they lost those too. So, mm. but we got them to a point where, you know, that 2.1 gig file was still there. So the, the lesson was know what your system does. And at the time we didn't have like a test system, but it was, you know, find out what kind of, when a limit is removed from one part of the system, make sure it's actually removed elsewhere in the system. And then the second part of the story, because mm -hmm. that's not horrible enough, right? Yeah. So, so a few, uh, another year went by and I was actually leaving to go someplace else, very amicable departure. I just happened to be physically moving. So I'm on my last day before we're, we're going to move. And me being the smart guy that I was decided to run the mail cleanup before I left. <laughs> I had totally forgotten what we had done like six, 12 months before. Yeah. I don't know why I did it. I, I have no idea why. And everybody's email started going. Now this time we were, I, I was fast enough to notice it and I ran over and I hit control C. Yeah. But the, uh, so we only had to restore a few person, a few email inboxes, still had some data loss, but the fun part of this story. So that's all horrible, right? Yeah. But there, there's a little, a little fun part in it. So, you know, that was my last day. Right. And I started that at like, hold on, not, that wasn't your last day, meaning you were fired, was it? No, no, no. That was, that was my last scheduled day of work. Like I was, oh. I was leaving the company. Oh, gotcha. Gotcha. I, I, I have to say that as you're telling the story, the that like that meme of the little girl kind of like walking away from the fire burning yeah. down behind her, that's totally what I'm seeing in my head right now. Yeah. So <laughs> so, so this was my schedule last day, right? So so I get this all fixed and my my immediate boss was like, All right, you aren't touching anything the rest of the day. Like I think I think I took a few phone calls and opened some tickets for people, but I didn't do anything else the rest of the day. But then an hour later my big boss calls me in and I'm like, Oh, 
but he's like, he's like, no, 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 it's your last day. No big deal. You know, these things happen. You just, you shouldn't do stuff twice. Right. You know, make the mistake once you shouldn't do it twice. And then he says, but you know, it is your last day. And I wrote a, a, a recommendation letter for you. And I thought, you know, you should check it out beforehand. And he gives it to me and I'm, I'm nervous. I just kind of skim it. And I'm like, yeah, that looks great. He goes, you sure? What do you mean? Am I sure? You wrote a great recommendation. Why wouldn't I like this? So I start thinking, look at it. He put in there, you know, something something along the lines of, you know, I highly recommend Rob Nelson for any job. Just don't let him touch your email system on the last day. Oh no. <laughs> I don't mean to laugh. But... <laughs> he wrote he wrote me he wrote me a real recommendation letter, but I still have the I still have that one. He gave me a hard copy of that one. I, I keep that one I keep that one to help help me remember, uh yeah, don't if you wow. make a mistake once, that's okay. Try now, not to do it twice. That that is indeed a a horror story, and uh, I I appreciate you being open and honest and sharing that story and 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 giving giving the pulling the strings listeners kind of a peek into your life as a I guess I'll say an administrator or an engineer per se because we all have a horror story, right? I even have my own, but of course I'm not going to share right here um I'll, I'll leave that up for ben ford who will uh share his story ben how about it i don't know demetrius I, th- I think we're gonna have to put you on the spot at the end of this uh so so be prepared for that um hey i'm i'm ben i uh i've been in the puppet community for a, a long time and and my job right now is product manager for the forge but at the time of the story i was i guess you could call it education ops I was uh, working in our education department, building a lot of our training and uh, a lot of the tooling, a lot of like a lot of the content and, and kind of the infrastructure around our classrooms. And that's sort of the context for the story, because we had this really cool tool that would kind of in- interrogate a couple of different sources of truth to figure out what classes were coming up and what students were in those classes and who was teaching them and everything. And then would reach out to a cloud service that we were using. This was Amazon. And stand up a virtual classroom. And this was like a uh, like a puppet master and then some virtualized uh, puppet agent uh, machines that people could log into. And they, like it, w- it would just like build out its own little mini environment so that you just log in and you run puppet and it would uh, hit the server and everything was all great. And it would email a link to the instructor. You know, it, it did all the things for you just like automation should do. Um, Unrelated, we also had a separate tool that was sort of company-wide. And most of us have something like this. It was, it was the, the Reaper. And it would go find stale machines and just clean them up because like nobody wants that giant AWS bill from stuff you've forgotten about. And that's how we got rid of classes once we were done with them. We would set a like a lifespan tag and say like, yeah, this class is going to run for three days. So let's give them a little bit of buffer time so that people can log in and finish their exercises uh, afterwards and whatnot. So, it, you know, give them like uh, four or five days worth of runtime. And then the Reaper would just like kill off the classroom. Yeah. All of that makes total sense, right? Mm-hmm. So we have these classes running. They're going worldwide. There's some of them that are like live at the right now at this uh, that's this minute, and some of them that are like getting queued up for uh, classes that are going to be starting in the morning. And it's about nine o'clock in the morning or so uh, Pacific time. So that's a couple hours uh, ahead in East Coast, um, approaching lunchtime. And then all of a sudden, everything goes red, and it was like almost instantaneously. Like you could see like this wave just sort of like go 
like what is going on yeah and then like all the uh, the chat messages started happening hey where'd my classroom go hey what's going on hey I, I i can't log in anymore could somebody help me out here like some people were polite about it and some people were like pr- pretty panicked about it um, because there's th- these are instructors that are standing up in front of the classroom in front of like 15 to 20 people who all of a sudden are dead in the water and they can't do anything so i panic right you know everybody you're like holy yeah. crap what do i do now and then we, we we have a couple of things that just sort of like all compound and it it turned out to be is like we failed like uh, disaster planning 101 because we didn't have a plan for this. We didn't plan for everything dying all at once. What do we do? Yeah. So we kind of like scramble around with head with uh, like chickens with our heads caught off for a few minutes while we're trying to like in the, the heat of the moment, figure out what to do. Get a couple of people, you know, Michael's off like standing up classrooms again. He's doing it by hand. Bam, 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 you know, at the at the keyboard. And that's a problem I'll come back to. Okay. And I, I'm working on like figuring out what's going on because we don't know what's going on at this point. Yeah. So Michael stands up a classroom and 90 seconds later, it dies. It goes away. So I'm, I'm like, okay, okay. Either AWS is having like this major meltdown or wait, wait, hang on. There was that thing that Cody built. So I'm like, Cody, Cody, what's going on? No response. So now who would I talk to? Mm-hmm. And that's another uh, uh, mistake that we made is we didn't have like this clear like communication plan. It was like, I didn't know when, uh, when the Reaper went crazy, I didn't know how to track down who was in charge. I didn't know how to track down who could shut the thing down, who could stop it from going. Yeah. And so like, I literally like all of our classes across the entire world are just all imploding all at once. So this was a global thing. It was totally global. Yeah. Um, and I think that we had something like eight classes running like live classes running at the time. And there were, there were another like 15 that were like about to, to start. So I just yeah. like sent this like mass message to like every single person in the, in the company. This is a big deal. I need somebody to tell me how, like who to talk to. Finally find somebody who has uh, access, like the keys that they could turn this thing off, get the thing shut off. And then we all get uh, back to our, back to our task of standing up the, these uh, instances and, uh, once once the Reaper isn't like coming behind us, killing everything off, it's actually relatively simple. It, but it was a manual task because we, di- we didn't automate rebuild the world. We just had it automated so that every week it would like do next week's classes. So is is Reaper like Chaos Monkey of Netflix? It, it, it does some similar things. Re- the, the Reaper is well, <laughs> this was an unintentional Chaos Monkey. Okay. Uh, the Reaper is intended to be very specific. It, it's like find all instances that have expired and kill them. Where the Chaos Monkey is like, hey, 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 guess what? Yeah. You're gonna die. Right. Um, and it just like picks out some uh, some random services. And the idea is that if your application can survive a few random uh, nodes in the whole infrastructure going down and be able to like fail over to the next uh, machine running the endpoint, then it's a resilient service. Um, so that that would be what the, uh, the Chaos Monkey did. Okay. But there were a bunch of things that we learned from this and, and, and we sort of like, like improved going forward is that having a disaster plan, even if it's like, hey, we have no idea how this is gonna happen, but you know, what if, and uh, having that disaster plan being flexible enough to say like, hey, if something comes up that we've never thought of, 
this is how we're going to communicate. This is how we're going to divide up like the work that we're going to do to recover from it. This is how we're going to interface with the rest of the company. Those, those sort of things are absolutely critical. And, and it's just like, you know, depending on how big your team is, it's, it's that, that's how much time you have to put into figuring that out. And then the other thing is we absolutely failed at having a communication plan for figuring out how to get this service tracked down and shut off. It took me 20 minutes to get this uh, service, uh, get the Reaper shut off so that we could like get our classes uh, stood back up. And that was 20 minutes of like, people could not actually access the classroom. So the instructor literally just had to like stand up there and talk, which is, I mean, part of their job, but still, yeah, people were in the middle of uh, homework. Um, so having that, that plan of how you're going to talk to people, how you're going to track down who is in charge of a service, uh, for example. Oh, and, and, and then the fact that we had to manually run the tool each time to, to re-stand up the class, if we had built it in a truly resilient form, it would have, uh, once we had, had shut the Reaper down, it would have uh, like brought itself back into the state that it should have been. And those are all things that, uh, that will happen now, like in one form or another. But at the time, we just, it, it was like a, a what, what is that, like, what, uh, a perfect storm of all these things that just went wrong to, just to make everything yeah. like an immediate disaster for several hours while we were recovering from it. Yeah. And, and anytime someone says all of a sudden and also I hit control C from Rob's story, then you, you know, something's not right. And just the name of Reaper alone, you know, is a little scary. And uh, you, you have to be careful when the Reaper is out there looking for something to destroy. So, um, Ben, that's, that's <laughs> it a very... Sure, it destroyed everything that day. <laughs> that's a crazy story. So, yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. So the, the lessons learned there, I think, is having that disaster plan. Um, one thing as well, probably in both stories, is testing testing right so yep testing planning for disaster communicating i think rob got caught up on his last day though where he was like i was about to go do something else and i just decided to run this and it's like ah famous last words that's like the ultimate friday right i i thought i was doing him a favor helping him out on my last day (laughs) yeah let's parting a parting gift All right. So, Ben, thanks for for sharing uh, your your horror story. Uh, Next up is is Mike Smith. And let's let's see how horrible Mike's story is. Mike, how are you? I'm doing fine. How about yourself? I am well. So first, uh, I already have nightmares coming back from Rob's story from years ago. And if you ever feel like nobody knows what you do, just try rebooting an exchange server in the middle of the day. Um, I've done that accidentally many times. And, uh, you know, back in the day when you didn't have all these automation orchestration tools, you had to RDP to a machine and run, click the update button manually. And, uh, you know, you think you're RDP to one machine to, a, to get to another machine and you hit reboot. And you're like, wait, which one did I reboot? And then suddenly your phone starts ringing uh, because nobody can email. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, oh, shivers right there. But my story is a little bit smaller, a little bit more personal. Um, so I work at Puppet. I'm a sales engineer. Some of you out there, listeners may have interacted with me in the past. But part of our job is to do uh, workshops at customers. So help people learn, use case space. Let's, let's do some stuff on, on some servers together. And uh, I was on site at a customer. And I provisioned all the machines ahead of time. And 
I, I tested them. I was like, this is working. This is good. And I got my machines provisioned. So for this one, we have a pair of machines for each person. We got Linux and Windows machines. I got a whole bunch of machines up there. I validated a few of them work. We're there. I got my slide deck together. I got, I got my agenda. People are coming in the room. So there's live people here and I'm in front. Now I've done a lot of workshops and I'm, I like to think I'm fairly comfortable in front of a crowd, but we start getting into the workshop. Nobody can access their machines. I'm like, what are you talking about? It's, it's, you know, here, I can do it. And it turns out I used and provisioned the machines, uh, specifically the Linux machines with the wrong SSH key. So nobody could access their Linux machines. So they couldn't do half the labs. Mm -hmm. And then it worked on my machine because I had the right key. But it turned yeah. out that was my key, not the public key. And I said, well, crap. So, you know, starting to get nervous here because, you know, I'm, I'm standing in front of actual people, uh, you know, pre-COVID when that was a thing. And I'm like, oh, okay, what do I do? And essentially what I did was I paused and I said, well, this particular one was a Bolt workshop. And I said, well, Bolt is something that I can SSH and do some things with. So I used, I turned the failure into a learning opportunity, at least for the folks there. And it took yeah. me a while to get there. I was like, wait, I can fix the SSH key with mine that has access to everything. So I gambled and turned on the screen share to my machine and said, all right, everyone, I'm gonna show you how to use the tool mm -hmm. you're supposed to learn about to solve the problem. But there was a lot of uh, a lot of nervousness there in the beginning. And I was like, crap, I didn't know. I'm trying to get like another SU to help me. I was like, hey, what can we do? Like, I don't know how to do this. And again, being in front of people just just exacerbates that, right? Makes it a little bit more more nervous, worse than it was. So right. again, time and people, you know, looking at you are waiting for you in, in any of these. We got classrooms, we got emails, we got, you know, in a, in a workshop, same situation, but I think the biggest lesson that I learned there was even with all the tools that you have and with all the speed and, and velocity with which everything gets provisioned, I mean, provision machines, and then we got the Reaper service out here destroying them or, or anything like that. It's really important just to say, you're still going to make mistakes, pause and think about how you can, how you can solve it. And really having an understanding of what the tools are capable of can help remediate that situation, hopefully pretty quickly and correctly but it's really hard to like, you know take that moment and stop because you're always in the situation in the heat of the moment there's pressure there's people waiting for you there's people staring at you there's people that took time out of their day to come sit in this classroom now that doesn't work you know i'm like oh my god i got to get these machines back up for these folks so taking time to think about those tools has been um it's probably my biggest lesson learned from that wow yeah i think i would totally corroborate that it, it, because it's like when you're in the heat of the moment and you're like, I got to do a thing. I got to do a thing. I got to do it. it. It's like your critical thinking uh, isn't like quite as, as uh, clued in as, as your fight or flight response. And you, it's, it's like you almost always do the wrong thing and you just make it worse. Whereas if you like slow down a little bit and just like put some thought into it and be like, what is the right thing to do? What, what is going to make this better? And I think the, the DevOps tools of today allow us to fail more spectacularly and in more glorious ways than we used to in the past. And a lot faster. Yeah. 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 If, if, you, if you're going to fail, you need to fail well, right? Hey, that's a really good point. You know, when I learned to ski, the very first thing that they taught us was how to fall down and not kill yourself, right? Yeah. Or break something. Yeah. Well, 
Definitely. Uh, so, Mike, the lessons learned there was, I guess, give me a recap of what, what's the lesson learned there and just maybe maybe one walk away or take away from from uh, that story, if you don't mind. Yeah. So there's lots of new tools out there in the in this world of DevOps, if you will, and, and modernization and understanding those capabilities is key before mm-hmm. you start something. And then when you're in one of those situations, whether you're in front of people, whether you got people waiting for you. Um, taking a minute to pause and critically think about something. Um, what should I do? What is the actual root cause of the problem? How can I solve it? What's a contingency plan if that doesn't work? Um, it's going to be really helpful. And in, in some cases, the tool that's actually you're you know maybe using or is broken may be the thing that can actually help you get out of it as well. Yeah, I, I like that as well. And uh, also something else, you know, since since we are you know still in the midst of the pandemic and people are working from home, so we're all isolated in our own rights. Um, but, you know, having a team member, you know, to be that second pair of eyes and having a peer review, having someone to kind of look over, you know, what, what you're planning on doing, um, having that plan and making sure that everything is tested out. And, you know, we have development environments that you can actually run things on now. Right. So th- there's a lot of ways that I think people can actually get around, um, you know, making some of these mistakes. But at the end of the day, you're going to make a mistake. And, you know, if you own up to it, you fess up to it and you say, hey, it was me. And, you know, here's what I learned and here's what we can do differently. Then, you know, it, it's definitely a, a positive, you know, after um, the, the dust has settled. Well, like Rob said, you try not to make the same mistake twice, right? You learn from it and you uh, you get better. But I, it sounded like you were about to close out. But Demetrius, I, 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 we, we haven't heard your story yet. Oh yeah, I I don't really have a story, you know. I'm I'm gonna kind of dance around this a little bit, you know, while I'm while I'm recording. But uh, just kind of in a nutshell, my story was around. This was when I was a TSM admin, so this was this was back in the day, and I was responsible for uh, managing a a large backup environment. And TSM has this thing called scratch tapes. So scratching a tape means that you wipe out all of the existing data on that tape, so you can reuse it as a fresh and brand new tape. And so TSM also has these things or had uh, these things where you could actually run a command um, within a script. And so the script also had these pre-populated parameters in it. And um, there was a bug. So depending on what version of that product you were running, there was a bug with the command and the flag to actually delete data from a tape. And uh, let's just say I, I kind of ran that thing and it ran and went out and did some things that it wasn't supposed to do. And uh, I forgot the number, but it was probably well over 50 tapes. You know, there was, <laughs> it was it was well over a, a lot of tapes that actually made you realize, you know, you know, that feeling in your stomach when, you know, it feels like the bottom drops out and it's like, you know what? Life is going to end for me right now. Did you just say you killed 50 tapes of, of backup material? I did. Oh, my gosh. I did. However, there was a copy. <laughs> so there was a copy of the tape, but just to wipe out that primary tape like that, it is scary as hell, okay? So that, that's my story, and, and the, the lessons learned there was to confirm, you know, what you have as far as, you know, in your scripts and when you're running scripts, especially if you're on low, lower level versions and you're not running the latest and greatest version of a bug of that particular software, then you, you definitely want to make sure that you know exactly, you know, what's fixed, what's not fixed, et cetera. So 
that's my story. It doesn't sound bad, but trust me, I, I, um, I, I felt that that day was going to end my career. So I'm still here. And maybe that's a lesson from, from your story, because I've, I've felt that feeling too, the, oh crap, this is like a resume generating moment. But like you said, I'm still here too. So we learn from it. I, I might get a phone call after this thing goes live and, you know, it might be some, someone say, hey, so that was you? Um, okay, we're, we're definitely gonna gonna send you some papers over so you can show up and um, <laughs> and stand bef- before the court. <laughs> I hope not. I'm not speaking that into existence, but this this was definitely fun. And uh, Rob, uh, Ben, and Mike, any any final passing words? I guess from today's you know DevOps horror stories. Yeah. I'll just add, I think one of the biggest lessons I've learned over the years, and, I, and it's one of those that I think you have to relearn, relearn all the time because it's so, it feels like anathema that it, that it shouldn't be that way. But most of the time when you make a mistake, when you F up, mm-hmm. it isn't as big a deal as you thought. So take that time, take a breath, figure out what's going on. It's probably causing one person to scream, but it doesn't mean everybody's affected by it. It doesn't mean it's as terrible as it seems. So take that moment, take a breath, figure out exactly what it is before you dive back in. Cause like, like everybody's been talking about, you start sweating, you start making bad decisions, you start rushing, you, you run the tape, you, you know, the next tape through without checking the first one. And all, all of a sudden 50 are done. Take that moment, figure it out and get back to it. Cause it's probably not that bad. Now there's probably some places where it really is. You know, if you're working in medical stuff, <laughs> yeah. maybe maybe this doesn't apply the same way. But it, for <laughs> most of us, I think we can take that time and, and we should. Yeah. Great advice indeed. Yeah, I agree. And is is there is there any way that people can reach out to you, Rob, on on social media and after you, Rob, um, Mike and Ben will let you guys kinda divvy out your your social media. Uh, handles if you'd like to uh, for the listeners to reach out to you. Yeah, the easiest way to reach out to me is rnelson0 on Twitter. And likewise, I am binford2k, B-I-N-F-O-R-D-2-K on like Twitter, GitHub, Slack, all the places. My easiest is email, which is mike.smith at puppet.com. All right. So I appreciate everyone sharing their DevOps horror stories. I'm not quite sure how I got looped into this uh, I guess it's it's uh, peer pressure. So thank you everyone for sharing with us on Pulling the Strings podcast powered by Puppet. 